0: It's the light of the world. During the season of Lent we are reminded that the journey to the cross is a difficult one.
1: Good morning. morning. Glad you folks are here to join us in today's worship. If you would, please sign the attendance book as it gets passed down to you. Today is the second Sunday of Lent, and it's the season in the Christian year when we seek to follow Christ more closely as He is making His way toward the cross. Today's focus passage is Isaiah chapter 53, depicting the suffering servant, the Christ who carries the burden of our sin. So let's join now for prayer.
2: Almighty God, we approach you in the name of Jesus Christ, our savior and redeemer. Through the power of that name, we can come to you with our sins forgiven Thank you for this unspeakable gift. May we live our lives with the cost of our salvation in mind. Amen. Now let's use the music of the prelude to help prepare ourselves for worship.
3: you please join me in the call to worship in your worship guides. On this second Sunday of Lent we gather to worship. We think of Jesus our Savior who loved us and gave himself for us. We give our thanks and praise to Jesus Christ who carries our sorrows, heals our wounds, and redeems us from sin and death. We draw near in full assurance of God's endless love and mercy. We ask for blessing on this service of worship and on our lives as we depart later to serve.
0: Thank you. I now invite the children to come down for the children's sermon. Good morning. So I have a question. How old are y'all? Tell me how old. Huh? How many? Four. Five. 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 Eight. Eight. Five. Eight. Five. Eight. 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 Seven. Eight. Okay. <laughs> well. Eight. Did you all know that I was eight years old one time? Yes. Do you believe that? Yes. I have kind of forgotten what it was like to be an eight year old, but I was eight. I looked for some pictures last night at home when I was about seven or eight and I couldn't find any. But I have two of when I was about 11 or 12. This is a picture of me and my brothers and I'm the middle, I'm the guy in the middle. I'm about 11 or 12. That's a pretty cool picture, isn't it? Is that pretty cool? Not bad, huh? I was looking pretty sharp that day, what do you think? I'm kind of proud of that one. Then I've got this picture. These are golf pictures of me and two of my brothers. No, I'm not in the middle. I'm on that side. That's my older brother. And then that's one of my younger brothers. That's not really good golf form, by the way. I don't like the way that looks. Need to work on my stance a little bit. But anyway, kid one time, years ago. And so what we're thinking about today, when we talk about the cross, and that, that Jesus was a kid too. Yeah. yeah? He was your age one time. So he knows kind of what it's like to be a kid, he knows what it's like to be an adult. He knows what it's like to have joy and happy and fun times. He also knows what it's like to have hard times. So he understands life, okay? He's had a lot of experiences when he lived on earth that we have. And the cross, of course, is the hardest of, of that. But we think about that today and thank God for his understanding. So let's pray together. Lord, for understanding us our happy moments, our hard moments, thank you. That you walk beside us to help us, to encourage us, to lift us up. So help us to follow you. Amen. Hey, thank y'all. <laughs>
3: If you would, please join me in the litany in your worship, God. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. For whom did he suffer? He was pierced for our transgression. For whom did he die? He was crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his
2: wounds, we are healed.
1: The year was 2013. Joy and I had not moved to Carrollton yet, but we were here for that season of Easter and the services that you were holding. That particular Sunday, the choir was presenting their Easter music and it was called The Weeping Tree. And after listening and being ministered to by Glenn and this choir, I went home and I wrote this that I'm about to share with you now. Outside the city wall the weeping tree in silence lifts her arms against the sky. The darkening clouds pretend what is to be. She knows her role and what is drawing nigh. Though fixed in barren soil her roots grow deep into the hearts of all who would draw near to join her branches as they bend and weep and sense a comfort breaking through the fear. A gathering place for those who sorrow, mourn, for those whose dreams are crushed, lives torn apart, recipients of ridicule and scorn, a sanctuary for the grieving heart. Beneath her tower, towering presence there is rest, her shadows are a welcomed hiding place, a refuge where the lost and those oppressed find comfort in her canopy of grace. Planted on a ragged wind-swept hill, we see her solitary silhouette, an instrument of heaven's perfect will, as good and bad as anything can get. Watered by a thousand lonely tears, Her branches bear the final sacrifice. How strong she stands. Each anguished cry she hears as soldiers place their bets and roll the dice. Hatred cut her down. And yet we find her crooked, twisted arms forevermore are bearing up God's grace for all mankind, the Christ. Messiah, heaven's open door, the symbol of the day of reckoning, now tree of life. Her banner full unfurled, her arms outstretching still and beckoning to show the love of God for all his world.
0: After our prayer time, then Cole will lead us in the Lord's Prayer. O God of the cross, we gather in this place Sunday after Sunday to hear preaching that will remind us that we are loved and forgiven. We gather to remember the way we came up out of the waters of our baptism to symbolize life abundant and eternal. We come here to worship at the foot of the cross. We come here to worship Christ in the safety and the comfort of this sanctuary, perhaps not fully realizing that the Christ is actually alive today, present, here, calling us, prodding us, pulling us to follow him out into a risky and uncomfortable world. So O God, forgive us of our love for cheap grace, help us to truly repent, to seek to live for a grace, in a grace and by a grace that is worthy of your sacrificial love for us, even if it is costly to us. May we keep asking, keep knocking at your door, keep giving our lives away to you, keep denying ourselves and keep looking to you for the strength we need to pick up our crosses and follow our Lord and our Savior wherever he leads. Because we know that this grace, although it cost us our lives, is the only way to true life, abundant life, and eternal life. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who taught us to pray.
2: Our Father, who art in heaven, heaven.
0: Hallowed, hallowed be, be thy, thy name. God. Thy kingdom thy comes, thy will be done, be on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom,
3: Today's scripture is going to come from Isaiah 53, 3 through 7, and that's on page 596. Also, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, that's on page 978. Here's from Isaiah. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity, and as one from whom others hide their faces. He was despised and we held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole and by his bruises we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we have all turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent so he did not open his mouth. And from Hebrews twelve one and 2, that's on page 978. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, Who, for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarded its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God, the Word of God for the people of God.
0: We share common experiences. Once upon a time, actually it was 1970, 17-year-old Steve Davis sat across the booth from the love of his life, Hope. He was sure, absolutely sure that this was the girl he would spend the rest of his life with. He was in love, surely this was God's will. To make the moment sacred, he had taken her to the 1890s steakhouse, romantic that he was, to give her a first promise ring. He'd gone to Ted's Jewelers and, and bought the most beautiful ring that he had ever seen, complete with a diamond and an opal, and surely she would accept that ring and wear it for the rest of her life. He waited until she had swallowed a big bite of sirloin and then reached in his pocket and gave her that ring. This is for you, Hope. She was overwhelmed, she put that ring, it looked good on her, on her hand. That was our first promise to, to each other, and last. <laughs> Less than a year later, she had another ring on her hand, an engagement ring from somebody else. In a fit of rage, uh, righteous indignation, he went by her house and, much to her surprise, said, give me that ring back. He shouldn't have done that. I can laugh about it now, but the pain of rejection is no laughing matter. I laugh now, but I cried then. When you get rejected, it hurts. Dang, it hurts. You can try to laugh it off. You can try to spiritualize it. You can throw out a bunch of religious pious platitudes. But it hurts. I believe Jesus knows the pain of rejection, and thus the cross. Uh, Many people have been rejected at love. Uh, Some of you men have gotten that, the so-called Dear John letter, we used to call it. Maybe it's a Dear John text in these days, I don't know, but Dear John, blah, 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 you're such a great guy, but let's just be friends. Which means she wants no part of you whatsoever. And those four words, man, that hurts. So there's some other lines that women have used with men to break up. One is, I'm not attracted to you in that way. Which means she's not attracted to you in any way. (laughs) My life is too complicated now. Which means that you're one really complicated guy. Three, I don't date men where I work which means she wouldn't date you no matter where you work. And the worst one is the worst one is it's not you, it's me. That means it's you, it's you, right? It's not something to laugh about really. Rejection might be life's deepest hurt. It erases smiles, buckles knees, stoops shoulders, snaps minds and breaks hearts. To be excluded, to be omitted, from the group to be ostracized, to be left out, is deeply painful, no matter what group it is. There can be a vocational rejection. You cringe when you hear that phrase, we're downsizing. You know what that means. It hurts? Yeah. We know about social rejection. When somebody is excluded, whether it's at school or church, because they don't dress like us, they don't enjoy the same things that we enjoy, or they're from a different culture. So they're excluded and rejected. I think it's the hardest blow is to be rejected. Uh, Isaiah 53, which was read to you a moment ago, is what we call a servant song, one of several in Isaiah, depicting a true servant of God. And we think it's kind of a foreview, preview of Jesus Christ. And it's amazing. This passage, one of my favorite in all the Bible, is it sort of previews, what our Savior would be like. In in verse 3 of chapter 53, he was despised and rejected by others. Despised and rejected by others. The beautiful hymn that we just sang, The Old Rugged Cross, has similar language. The cross is the emblem of suffering and shame, so despised by the world its shame and reproach gladly bear." So those are strong words, despised and rejected. We don't think of Christian leaders in our culture as being despised and rejected. in fact, we picture them on TV with symbols of success. When we lived in Houston, there was a megachurch there. In staff meeting, they told their staff members, because they were on television, to make sure their shirt was like two inches past the coat so everybody could see their cufflinks because that was a symbol of success. This is the church in America. Wow. We say that we follow somebody, someone who was despised and rejected, who endured great hardship, but we have a lot of churches who refuse to display crosses in their church. You know that. Because they don't want anybody to feel sad. They don't want you to be human, not fully human, We have ministers who refuse to preach about the cross because they will say, the goal in worship is for you to feel better when you leave than you did when you came. Why not just pass out candy? We'll just, we'll worship. When you leave, we'll give you a piece of candy and you'll feel better when you leave. So let's talk about the cross for a moment. I think that from the cross, Jesus suffered a depth of rejection that I don't know that any of us could ever fully comprehend. And to be that lonely in that moment, I can't even imagine. I don't know who invented crucifixion. Had an evil heart, I suppose. The shameful nature of crucifixion as a means of execution, I think, is related to the shameful conduct of the human race. I know a lot of wonderful people have died horrible deaths but Jesus, the innocent one, to be crucified. He was not permitted a last meal or decent clothing, a last hug from family, or even time with a chaplain. Crucifixion was designed to strip away every last ounce of decency, privacy, and humanity. The torturing and tormenting of our Savior is it's a reminder of what the human race can do And the cross is a horrible picture, a horrible picture of what we are really like at our worst. But it also reminds us that that he knows what it's like to be human. We share experiences together. He gets it. So Smith and Davis are two of the most common names in this country. That, along with the Joneses, probably make top three. We share common names, Smith and Davis, and also some common experience. Marty Smith's married to Pam. They're right here this morning. They have three kids: Taylor, Andy, and Sydney. Sydney's the same age as Natalie, and they grew up together, still love each other. Uh, played together a lot when they, were, when they were kids. They also shared a kindergarten teacher one time. And also shared yellow check marks on report card, which meant they talked too much. But that's another story for another day. This story is about them playing together when they were kids and falling. Actually, Sydney fell. I saw her fall. She and Natalie were trying to climb off a soccer net. We said, get off the net, and they didn't, and they fell, or Sydney fell. Uh, Sherry and I and, and Pam saw it happen when Sydney fell. We heard a loud thump as she hit the mother earth. <clears throat> she cried rightly so it hurt we all winced we thought the pain might go away that afternoon but it didn't a trip to er later confirmed their worst fears a broken arm you say well lots of kids get broken arms their arm heals and life goes on that's true but do all dads who have a daughter with a broken arm take their daughter to see the orthopedist And hear those gosh awful words, it didn't set correctly. So we're going to have to re-break it. (laughs) Excuse me? What'd you say? I don't know if Marty said that to the doctor, but I I know what what he thought. What he thought was, break mine instead. The kind doctor nurses told Marty that he could leave the room if he needed to. He needed to, but he couldn't. He couldn't because he loved Sydney more than she'll ever know until she has her own kids. He couldn't leave the room because he couldn't desert her in her time of greatest need. They rebroke her arm. She screamed, and Marty's heart broke into a thousand pieces. The pain didn't last long. Sydney was a real trooper, of course. But I promise you, the anguish on Marty's face and the pain in his heart lingered long after the pain in her arm. When my dad would spank me as a kid, and some of you think he didn't do that enough, he would say to me what yours said to you. This hurts me more than it hurts you. But I want to say, Dad, but in a different place, you know. (laughs) I didn't understand that until I got hooked into taking Natalie when she was a child to get her shots for school. Oh my gosh. Give them to me instead. I'll take them. She screamed. I teared up, went to McDonald's after to give her a treat and she was out playing on the playground. She was fine. I couldn't eat lunch. I really, I couldn't eat lunch. These stories have a lot to do with a father, mother, parent, Lent, season, love, and suffering, and a cross. I do believe that God is like a parent. He loves us like a parent loves a child, which you cannot understand until you have a child. But when we hurt, he hurts. He hurts more than we hurt. And I'm not smart enough to figure out the whole cross thing, but I believe something happened in that cross event. That's a lot like our stories. I said it in sermons before about the cross that I don't know how many people I would give my life for. It's a short list. But the older I get, the longer the list grows because I've lived my life. I talked to a lady yesterday in this church. Her son is going through a horrible time. He's very sick. She said to me over the phone, she said, I'd I'd give my life for him. You can't know how that feels until you have somebody in that situation. At times when Sherry was sick, I remember one powerful moment at home and she didn't fall apart much. I did a lot. But in one moment at our home, one low moment I said to her, I want your cancer. You give me your cancer. If somebody should die, it ought to be me, not you. You're younger, you got a whole life ahead of you. It's one thing to say, I'm willing to do that, but it's another thing to want to do it. And you have experiences in life that you never dreamed you would have until you have them. You can't understand the depth of love until you're in that moment of wanting to give your life for somebody else. In the eyes of God... Because he loves us so much. We were dead in sin. To get us out of that bad situation. To show us his love. And to lift us up out of that. He gave his life. He wanted to do that. Does the cross mean that he understands? Absolutely. Absolutely. Many of you have had experiences. I don't understand. Because I haven't been through what you've been through. But you haven't been through what I've been through either. Some of you. Since Sherry died, a lot of people have been so kind and and, and talked to me, and in my low moments, I say to myself, they don't understand. It's true. Unless you've had a spouse die in the prime of life, you don't understand. But you try to understand. You're very kind and thoughtful, which is all you can do. That's why the cross is so important to our theology, to our lives, to our churches. That Christ has walked The ultimate path with us. Until about ten years ago, I didn't know much about physical pain. I had a little bit as an athlete playing, you know, but I didn't know much. And when people in the church would say, "I'm in a lot of pain," I'd try to understand, but I I didn't quite get it, you know. And then I had a kidney stone. (laughs) It's like, oh my gosh, oh, oh! Didn't last too long. Then I had a herniated disc which lasts for months and months. I walked around a lot just like this because it didn't hurt so much if you, walk, if you walked around like this. If I see somebody doing this, I know they've got a herniated disc. And I want to just hug them. Because it hurt for months. I had three options. Surgery, take a lot of pain pills, or jump off a bridge. Those are my three options. And thank the Lord I had surgery. So I get it now. If you talk to me about hurting and pain, I get it. It breaks my heart when you do. I think Jesus Christ really, really understands. I think when we talk about the cross, we've talked perhaps too much about the physical suffering, not enough about the emotional suffering, the rejection, the loneliness, the shame, and forgiveness. First century Christians talked about the cross in the only way they knew how. A sacrificial system where you'd kill an animal to make atonement for sin. They were surrounded by that system. They saw it every day. It was part of their lives. So they talked about the death of Christ in the only way they really knew how, I suppose. Well, the Jews haven't sacrificed animals for 2,000 years. So surely we can find other ways, as well as that one, other ways to talk about the cross. God didn't need the cross to forgive you or me. He forgave people before Jesus ever came, right? Old Testament, He forgave people in the Old Testament. Sometimes because they went through the sacrificial system, but sometimes because people just said, "Mm, God, I'm sorry. God forgives us because it's God's nature to forgive. God's a forgiving God. He forgives you because he wants to forgive you. Jesus did not come to change the mind of God, but to reveal the mind of God. What the cross did, though, was to take forgiveness to a totally different level. He understands. When we lived in Houston back in the 80s, there was a horrible crime two teenage boys decided that they wanted to go out that night and kill somebody from a different race. What do you want to do tonight? Go to a movie? Go to dinner? No, I think I want to go out and kill somebody from a different race. We didn't have crucifixions in Houston back in the 80s or else they might have chosen that method. Instead, they grabbed a rifle and pulled up to a stoplight. They saw an Asian young woman who in a car next to them who happened to be beautiful and brilliant and in in medical school and they shot and killed her. Can you imagine such hatred? Jesus can. He's seen it. Experienced it. And yet he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing.
4: Would you join me in our stewardship prayer? Father, we bow humbly before you this morning. We're so grateful that you love us like you do. We're here this morning because you're here, Lord, and you're here because you love us, and we know that. We thank you for your grace and your goodness. Lord, we have heard a wonderful sermon about forgiveness and possible sacrifices, and we know Jesus sacrificed his life for us to forgive our sins so we could claim our salvation and we praise your name for Jesus. And now we'd like to be reminded, Lord, and help us do this, that all that we have is not ours. We have bounty, and part of that bounty is yours. and. We want to bring that back to you, Lord, so that we can do the ministries in this church that you would have us do. Help us have the discipline to do that now. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: It's been a difficult week for our community, as you know. Uh, Tommy Greer, of course, died last Sunday after church, and his funeral was uh, yesterday. And he was a great friend to many of us, to people in this community, a wonderful human being. And you may not know, but his last Sunday sermon was from this pulpit, December 29th. Some of you were here that Sunday. It's on our website if you want to listen and see that service. It was an incredible sermon. Uh, when I'm out, Christopher, I always want him to preach, but if not, then Tommy Greer was my number one pinch hitter. I mean, I always called Tommy when I'd be out, and, and, and you loved him. And in fact, some of you loved him so much, you might say to me, Pastor, you're looking kind of tired, why don't you take some time off and we'll get Tommy to come in here for a couple of weeks and I was afraid if I did that you might give me a pink slip when I get back and Tommy could be the first ever Methodist minister at First Baptist Church, he was that good. We're going to miss him, this community, there's a big hole in this community for his ministry to so many people, it's amazing his influence. So. We'll continue to remember him. He'd want us to go on, I know, with our lives, but he also was smart enough to know we need to grieve, and he'd want us to do that, but we will. I want to invite you to come back tonight for our book study, Just Mercy, 6 o'clock, Cross the Street. Even if you haven't read the book, come join us. You'll pick up on it very quickly. It's a great book and a great great study. Some of you have heard of the, the concept of safe families. I'm going to ask Lindsay Williamson to come up here. Uh, lindsay's not a member here but she is the community leader of an organization called safe families and we're promoting that and want you to be a part of this as a, a mission opportunity to help families so lindsay come tell us about it
5: good morning um thanks so much for letting me come and join you guys today um i get to tell you briefly about safe families um, an organization that is going to be new here in carrollton about 16 years ago, a man named Dave Anderson was running a foster care agency up in the greater Chicago area and kept having moms, parents, come to him saying, I'm, I'm afraid my kids are going to get put into foster care or I'm afraid something bad is going to happen. Can you help me? And he, and he kept having to say, well, the way foster care works is there has to be abuse or neglect going on, you know, before kids enter care. And and he thought, this is crazy that we don't have a way to provide help and maybe circumvent the need. For foster care. And so he started, he realized that these families coming in, their, their biggest need was not that they needed better housing or that they needed, uh, you know, rehab or, or these big problems that they have going on, but the biggest need was that they had no support system. Because if they had a support system, they wouldn't be in the crisis that they were in. And so he said he realized, you know, if I look at my church, our greatest resource is community. So what if we could take this resource of community? and share it with these families who are in need, who who desperately need community. And that is where the idea of Safe Families was born, that we want to change the way that families are cared for when they're in crisis. And so the Safe Families models takes volunteers from local churches and wraps around families who are in crisis. And um, every volunteer role has a different um, job and meets specific needs of these families. And the goal is that Um, we would prevent the need for foster care in some cases, um, that we would prevent child abuse, and that we would be able to support and stabilize family on a long-term basis. Um, So we're about to launch Safe Families here in Carrollton, hopefully next month. And this is a national organization, but there's no chapters in Georgia. So this will be the first chapter here in Carroll County. so I want to invite you guys to come to an information meeting following the service. But before, before I invite you, I want to say kind of two things. The first thing is I know everybody in here is busy. I'm busy. We all have busy lives with kids and jobs and church and all that. But the beauty of say Families is that it's designed similar to how God talks about the body of Christ, that there are no indispensable parts in his body, that the baby toe, you know, is as important as the right arm. And the same is true in Safe Families. All, we have all these volunteer roles from giving a ride to somebody occasionally to actually housing kids in your home. So from very low commitment to, to big commitment. Um, so don't write it off quite, you know, immediately and think that you're too busy. There might be a place for you. Um, and the second thing I would encourage you is um, don't come to this meeting alone. Bring somebody that you're doing life with, whether it's your Sunday school class or your community group or, um, I don't know, maybe just a group of friends because the way Safe Families is designed is we don't just get to provide community for families in need, but we get to minister out of our own community and and build our own community as well. So um, I would invite you to come and join us. I think it's in the student building and there's lunch. Is that right? Um, Yeah, and we would love to give you more information about how you can be involved. Thanks.
0: So upstairs at the place, immediately after worship, Lindsay brought her children to Vacation Bible School here last year. That's how we got to know her and been in touch with her over the past year. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for being here. It's great to see you. You got up. You lost an hour and you still got to church. You get a prize as you leave. And a piece of candy, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) So anyway, good to see you. Would you please stand for our spoken benediction? Jonathan singing our closing hymn. As you leave worship day, remember that God understands you. He's walked this earth, he's walked in your shoes. He gets it. We're a people called First Baptist Church. Caring, Caring people, people, sharing God's love. Mm-hmm.